Awesome. And we are rolling. And welcome, everyone, to the first episode of Real Men Feel. I am Andy Grant. I'm a transformational energy coach, meaning I can tune in and read the energy of people and situations. And with that skill set, with that profession, I attend and lead lots of personal growth events and spiritual seminars and the like. And normally, <laughs> that attracts a lot of women. And over the past couple of years, I've seen more and more men in the audience, um, which is a very good thing. And also in my one-on-one -on -one clientele, for years, it has been primarily women. But in recent months, I've really been getting more nudges to create a space for men. And beginning last October, I started writing and thinking and blogging about what does it really mean to be a man? And common themes that showed up for me were authenticity, vulnerability, and being willing to feel. So that kind of is where this this movement, this <laughs> undefined, unknown movement that I'm calling Real Men Feel began. And I have done a couple workshops, live workshops just for men called To Be a Man uh, this year. And I also lead a monthly support group for men in Massachusetts, which is where I live. But I also wanted to reach the planet. So we have a Facebook group called Real Men Feel. And now we are taking Real Men Feel here to Blab. And our plan is to do this twice a month. And Cool. I think that's all the bookkeeping, uh, the opening housework I wanted to get out of the way. So I want to introduce and welcome my friend and co-host, Apio Hunter. Hey, Andy. It's hey. great to be here. It is. And uh, like you, I um, started off my career uh, very much as somebody who was always able to read energy and follow that energy in order to kind of help help folks. So I spent many, many, many years in the corporate world and oftentimes in, in capacities that allowed me to use that particular gift, even though that was never the official thing that I was actually doing. But I inevitably found myself gravitating towards jobs and work um, that allowed me to, to really kind of basically be a problem solver. So when I uh, left the corporate world and, and struck off on my own, that's exactly what I wound up doing was becoming a um, what I would uh, best term as a spiritual guide. And my focus has always been on emotional healing, happiness, energy reading, uh, spiritual balancing. Um, my nickname amongst my peers is the is the emotion emancipator because I really do help folks uh, know emancipate their emotions, free their emotions, so they can be complete whole human beings. Like you, I found that um, doing this work and the, the vast majority of folks were in fact um, women that I worked with. Those in my audiences when I spoke, um, those who I worked with in group settings or in private settings were typically women. Um, I could understand that because when you're talking about emancipating your emotions, women are very naturally, uh, they gravitate toward that. Um, but like you also, I found that there's a huge underserved population, which is us guys, you know, men who are willing. And there are many, many men who are out there who are willing to step forward, to let go of all of these um, burdens that have been placed on them, either by societal or fam fam uh, family conditioning or whatever else, and really step forward and become whole, complete, full men. Because right. we are, after all, human beings, right? Right, right. Before we're men, we're human. We're human, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of guys forget that. So, so again, our, our plan is to do this twice a month. It's 20 to 30 minutes. That, that's what we're shooting for. Um, your comments, your feedback, your participation. You can hop into an open seat. That, that's all welcome. Um, again, we have the Facebook group called Real Men Feel. If you just search Facebook for Real Men Feel, you can add comments and share things there in between shows. Um, but for our premiere episode, we wanted to explore 
the, the notion of paternal relationships, the relationships between men and their fathers. And that is really because something that's come up for Apio in Apio's life. So would you like to share what's going on? Sure, absolutely. Um, last week, actually, it's been almost two weeks now that uh, my father transitioned. I prefer to use the term transition versus passed away um, because in my experience, I've basically come to a point where I no longer look at, at death or what we look at as death as being actual death. I just look at literally as being a, a transition back from our physical focus back to uh, you know, our natural state, which is non-physical. And so, you know, he, he you know, to use, to use the common term, he, he passed or he transitioned uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was not unexpected, but at the same time, it was kind of um, feeling his absence. Yes, I did feel a sense of loss because he was no longer physically here. So I couldn't just, you know, hop in the car, go to Idaho Falls where he lives. So I live in Salt Lake City, so Idaho Falls is only a four-hour uh, drive for me. Um, and not being able to do that all of a sudden was was definitely a, a something that I, I noticed and I abruptly felt. Um, simultaneously, I also look at his transition as being something very, very good. He was trapped in a body that was not cooperating with him. He was... Uh, suffering a great deal physically and even though his mind was sharp um you could tell how much he struggled and how he so much wanted to communicate and wasn't able to communicate as well as he as he wanted to um so you know his passing was for me a welcome release and for him it was a welcome release too um i am now able to sense him on a much greater level than i ever could and I can feel his presence. I can feel that he's, he's, you know, so much happier. He's gone back to, he's, he was always a very mischievous rascal. <laughs> and, you know, hearing all the stories from my cousins, because my dad was, uh, was 10 years younger than his next youngest sibling. And so all his older siblings, they all got married and were having kids. And he was, of course, tapped to be the babysitter. He was hands down the best babysitter that they could have hoped for. Because he was always getting right there in the thick of things, not only being part of the mischief, but oftentimes instigating it. <laughs> And so they loved it when Uncle Emerson would come and, and take care of them. Now he's able to do that. He is being mischievous. He's causing all kinds of trouble. He's savoring every single moment. So I'm, I'm happy with him. And but that's not to say that my relationship with him was not complicated. And it wasn't fraught with its own issues. Um, truth is that my dad was not the greatest family man. Um, he really... He chose to you know, become a father, he chose to get married, he chose to become a father. Those were choices that he consciously made, and he did so because he wanted to do so. But at the same time, I don't think he really fully understood or realized the responsibilities that came along with it. You know, being a dad, being a, a father, and, and, um, and a husband as well. So along with that came a slow and steady progression for him the weight of the demands that were being placed on him for being a, a, you know, a husband and a father, but most especially a father, really started to kind of crush his, his free spirit. And with time, he ended up just not being the same person. And he just kind of shut down and did everything he could to withdraw from those responsibilities. I, I Honestly, I hardly saw my dad when, when I was growing up. I mean, I have, I have some good memories, but for the most part, um, the most dominant memory that I have was of him not being there. 
him choosing to go to the office and spend as much time at the office so he could be away. So he did not have to deal and be faced with the, with the constant reminder that he had a family to take care of. So, yeah, he and when I was 15, he moved away permanently. He had left a couple of times and come back, but then in 15, when I was 15, he moved away permanently. Um, There's this commune up in Whitefish, Montana, that he decided to go ahead and join. Um, I guess you could say a lot of remnants from the, the, the 60s movements and 60s ideology. Um, and I didn't hear from him for almost a year. No phone calls, no, no nothing. And, in the, and that during that whole time, I found myself taking on the responsibility of not only blaming myself for somehow I was the one who caused him to, to just up and leave, but also taking on the responsibility of being my mom's emotional support, this, her, her surrogate husband. Yes, I had my older brother who was also very much a support, um, but he was also kind of one of those very self-sufficient guys who, you know, he, he could, he had his own thing. Whereas I felt I took on the responsibility, and I, this was my choice. I made the choice of taking on the responsibility for being my mom's support. Maybe not financially, but certainly emotionally, I was there. And so that uh, was kind of, in essence, what happened and what the absence of a father, if you will. That, that absence of a relationship with my father really shaped my life a great deal. Yeah, it's funny some of the things you mentioned like we had we had not talked about this but a lot in common so my parents divorced when i was four or five i have no memory of them living together and my dad had a very troubled relationship with his father his, oh. his dad was angry and was abusive and and i found in most relationships you know children will either try to model their parents exactly or go the exact opposite mm -hmm. so my dad tried to go the exact opposite he wanted to be my best friend not my father Right. And, and he would tell me things that were meant to convey how much he loved me, but I didn't take it that way. So again, I was born in the late sixties and my dad wanted to go to San Francisco and be a hippie. And he kept telling me from a very young age that you're the only reason I'm here. If it weren't for you, I'd go off in a commune. I'd go do whatever I want to do. I'd go join a banker gang. All the things I dreamed of, I'm not doing because how much I love you. But I just heard, oh, my dad's not doing what he wants because of me. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And even though it was not intentioned, that's how the message came across. Right. I, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you struck on something that was very interesting and how we can always, we as human beings are really not that far removed from primates when it comes to learning life skills. We model our life skills. We model what we do based off of the behavior that we see. Now, yes, we are slightly better at maybe you know making a choice of whether or not we want to go the same direction or the opposite direction but yeah it's it's kind of funny how you think that here we are we think of ourselves as being the pinnacle of of life on this planet when truthfully we see this cycle repeated over and over and over again i mean i cannot begin to tell you how many conversations i've had with other guys about the relationships with their dads the most common theme that I hear surfacing is the theme of the harsh dad who was absent, the harsh dad who was emotionally distant, the harsh dad who, while they have a fantastic relationship with their dad, they absolutely loved their dad, nevertheless, was, was literally like an emotional iceberg. And there was no real connection there. 
And I mean, I, I personally have come up with any variety of reasons for, for that. Um, but I don't think I will speculate on that here. And then we can always <laughs> save that for a different, <laughs> a different yeah. lab. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think like every generation, everyone passes on their best ways to survive to their offspring, their children. And again, for generations, men were not supposed to feel just exactly. stoic and, you know, be, be the, um, be the provider. Mm -hmm. yeah, work. Exactly. And, you know, and, and I grew up, you know, and you just say the same way, you know, so empathic. I could, from a very young age, like I'm talking like second and third grade, picking up all the energy of all the adults around me kind of hated their life. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah. why do I want to grow up and be an adult if everyone, you know, just lives for the weekend and hates their job? And I'm like, oh, it just felt like such misery. But, <laughs> but no one talked about it. They did not. They didn't. They didn't share that they felt that way. But I could feel it. I could you could see it. And, and yeah. you mentioned something key. We don't we model what we see. It's not what our parents tell us, not what your dad tells you. He can tell you, I love you all the time. But if he's acting a way that conflicts with that, you, you model what you see, not what somebody exactly. says. Yeah. I see the shifts nowadays. I certainly see that our society is moving in a direction. And probably the, a lot of this is the consequences of, of so many men having a love-hate relationship with their dads. You know, they, they love their dads. They absolutely, you know, a lot, you know, appreciate them. And yet simultaneously, there's so many things that their dads did or did not do more in the area of they did not do that. They want to do the very things that they're, that they felt were missing from their lives as they become fathers themselves. Even though I never had my own children, I have two stepsons and I have a great relationship with them. I took the approach of having also, again, uh, going after the modeling example and having observed many examples of, you know, women who remarry and then the stepdad comes in or there's a step parent involved. Oftentimes, kids ended up, at least where I live, where I grew up, I, it was rare to see a relationship with a step parent or stepdad where that was actually good. In the vast majority of cases, the male children in particular really started to end up resenting and hating the stepfather because the stepfather kind of you know, was, was coming in and almost trying to take over that father role when they already had a father that they could relate to. So, you know, when I wound up with stepkids of my own, I did my best not to go that route of trying to be the authority figure, of trying to make decisions. If anything, I involved, I kind of let the biological parents take, you know, take the lead. I would end up being the, third-party referee when there were when there were conflicts that were actually there yeah and uh so 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 for me i felt like i had i had some experience being a father myself because my stepkids came into my life when they were 11 and 14. now they're both married um the older one has provided me with two phenomenal grandkids that i just you know absolutely love and and but again i'm watching how my my oldest stepson now, now that he's a father, is, is doing his best to try to not make the same mistakes that his biological dad made. Yeah. And he's being a lot more open. He's being a lot more approachable. He's being a lot more um, – he is giving his son permission to be the best human being he can be and take whatever path – he wants to take 
And I'm so glad to see that. So many of the, especially millennials, millennials who are becoming fathers are starting to really wake up to the fact that this, this is, this is what it means to be a man can in fact be very detrimental. Many of them are now waking up to this is something that I feel like I was born 25 years too early because my attitude has always been, let the child take whatever path is going to make them happiest. Let the child make the decisions that's going to really kind of bring them in to to, um, their fullness as a human being. And instead of trying to impose these roles that may not necessarily fit that particular child. Right. Yeah. Everything evolves. We, we can see technology innovate and expand and gets excited, but so much of society doesn't allow what it means to be a man to evolve. Yeah. And they want to, like masculinity peaked in the 1800s and you should all be lumberjacks and that's all you should be. And you shouldn't, there are some feelings you can have and some you're not supposed to have. And yeah, if, if, if instead of all that, they just, you know, how to be happy was more important than how to be a man or how to be a woman. But just, yeah, to, to be authentically you is the greatest yeah. freedom you know, you can give to to your children. Exactly. I, you know, and this business that they're had, there's a set, you know, there is, you know, there, there are these rules that you have to follow that constitute what's a man and what's not. We get so paranoid about being perceived as, as something less than a man, especially when it comes time to, you know, expressing emotion, being emotion, you know, being emotional or just having feelings. Now, I had the benefit of having grown up in two different cultures. My dad's side of the family is Scottish, so, you know, typical white Anglo-Saxon Protestant upbringing there or influence there. My, mom's, my mom is, is of Portuguese descent from Brazil. So I had the exposure to the Latin culture, and in Latin culture, men are very emotional. Men are very, they, they know how to, to express their feelings and so forth, but they have their own totally different set of rules of what it constitutes, what constitutes a real man. One of them is that in a real man, you know, your, your, your um, ritual into adulthood is to take the son down when he turns 14 or 15, take him down to the local brothel so he could have his first experience with a prostitute. And I cannot begin to tell you how many, how many, you know, guys that I know from throughout Latin America who are actually very traumatized by that experience. Wow. <laughs> it's like I'm not ready yet. There were some that were like, "Woohoo, let's let's yeah. go!" You know? <laughs> yeah, that that's one thing that's always been missing in American culture: the the, the lack of rituals. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the different religions have ceremonies to cross you into manhood, but. You know, our society as a whole doesn't. And I, I've, I've read reports and studies that like, that's why gangs took off so strongly, because it gave you a ritual. It gave a way in and a way out and gave you that family and that male bonding and all the things that, you know, an ideal relationship with your dad would give you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and even though, you know, what's really interesting is that that was a, a ritual that I thought was just shocking <laughs> when I first heard about it. Like you said, having some kind of a ritual is good. I mean, where I grew up in Salt Lake City, um, you, you do have, you know, the influence of the LDS Church, of the Mormon Church. Um, here, the, the Mormons refer to themselves as LDS, Latter-day Saints. That's, that's kind of like a local thing. Um, but one of the things I really found is very fascinating about the, the church culture, because being Mormon is more than just being, uh, you know, having a set of beliefs. It is very much a way of life. And I always appreciate there all there really were a lot of rituals that were in place that were geared toward, you know, 
creating traditions within families. And I was as I was growing up, I remember every year local congregations would have the father-son outing, which typically you know involved going up to you know some camp campsite somewhere away from the city and spending a couple of days up there, just the fathers and their sons, and and just you know typical male bonding stuff, you know, and and. My dad, since he was never around, I never got to go on one of those outings. And by the time that I could, you know, I, by the time that I was actually finally invited to go on one of those outings, I was no longer interested. <laughs> <laughs> so I never had the benefit of, of being able to create some kind of a, a you know a ritual that would you know, create that kind of a bond with my father. Mm. Um, and while rituals are good while traditions are good, I've always been of the opinion, well, I'm even more so now of the opinion than I was previously, that we should also give ourselves permission to change rituals or discard traditions if they no longer serve us or if they no longer create the relationship, the father-son relationship that's there, that, that, you're, that you're after. Sometimes you have to you have to adapt. Sometimes you need to create new rituals, new traditions. Tradition, I you know, um, between quotes, <laughs> and being very flexible in that, in order to 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 create that you know the relationship that you want with your offspring. Understanding that your offspring is not your possession, but rather your offspring is your just just that somebody else who has their own personality, somebody else who has their own mind. Right, we should be able to change and let go and ignore and, and outgrow anything that doesn't serve us. That's exactly correct. I mean, that's, that's you know, what, what's taught to us, what structures society and the media and everything that gives it is, is at some level and at some time was meant to support us. Uh -huh. But, but when, when it goes from when support becomes a container and a trap, then that's when you've got to recognize that and, and be able to step beyond it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> I, I like the comment that we just got. <laughs> My son does not have his own mind, unfortunately. <laughs> well, maybe I can, I can understand. <laughs> maybe he's never had the space to develop it and discover it, right? Is that possible? Sure, absolutely. And there are times, I mean, I, there were times when I was dealing with my stepsons that I honestly thought the same thing. It's like, my gosh, it's like, are they actually thinking? Or are they just robots or what? I mean, can they think for themselves? <sighs> I was ultimately surprised one time when I actually was having a conversation with, with my oldest stepson when he, he came to me and he wanted to talk to me about something. And we ended up talking for a good two hours. I was blown away by how much he had thought about the subject. But not only that, how well he reasoned through it. I, I didn't have much to add to the conversation because truthfully, he was... He had given it so much thought and reasoned his way through it. And so and thought of all the different scenarios. I just kind of had, had to just sit back and listen to him and say, yes, I totally agree with you. Or, you know, have you considered this particular perspective? But, I mean, my input was very, very minimal. And it was incredible. So, but, you know, and, and, you know, I understand the part about giving him space and, you know, leaving him alone in his room most of the day in order, to, in order not to bother him. Um, but, you know, without having, knowing more of the details about, about your son, uh, Trader, um, I, 
I could always, you know, kind of tap into to to the emotional stream behind that, since that's what I do, and kind of get an idea to 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 give you some some guidance there if you'd like. I mean, I'm happy to do that. And everyone, everyone uh, listening and watching, welcome to to hop in and and take one of the open seats and really uh -huh. join in. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> oh. I'm going to go ahead and tap in, if I may, Trader, to, to kind of help give you a little bit of guidance on there to see. What I'm, what I'm getting is that There is there is something that is bothering your son, but he doesn't feel safe enough to be able to talk about it. He feels like I'm I'm getting that he is he feels like he would be judged. You're right. He is. He is very, very emotional. He is. He's. He's really. He's very sensitive. He and 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 sensitive, not necessarily in a bad way. So please understand that when I, when I use the word sensitive, it is sensitive to the energy that's around him. He is. He's very intuitive. He's very intuitive. And there is something that is causing him a lot of distress, but he feels like he can't discuss it because there was there will be judgment that's there. If you can find a way to create a safe space for him so that he can open up, a safe space where he feel like he can open up without being judged and without being criticized, I think that there will be a lot of benefit that comes from that particular conversation. Yeah, really. In, instead of leaving him space, create a space of engagement so he's mm -hmm. willing to yeah. talk and share. Because um, the biggest thing I got, and I, I think this is obvious, but maybe it's not, but when someone's crying all the time, it's because they're in pain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so you can ask them, and from an from a open-hearted space of giving them support, do you want me to just leave you alone versus assuming they want to be left alone? Mm -hmm. So if, if, if you can create a space where, you know, just let them know whatever is going on with you, you can share it, right? There's, there's no judgment. You're not in trouble, whatever. Just, just share what's happening. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, and I completely agree. It's you no, know, when you talk about a safe space, a safe space is really where, where they feel like they can just share whatever it is. It's on yeah. We don't mean physically, Although yeah. you need to be physically safe. We're talking more yes. emotionally safe. An emotionally safe space. Mm -hmm. Safe to share. Again, it's like what this pro is called, real men feel. And mm -hmm. men need to feel at whatever age that man is. Right? <laughs> so, so, and your son is obviously feeling, if, if he's emotional and hiding and crying, he is feeling. But Absolutely. He, to, to verbalize, to be able to communicate it can help it get out of him. Um, again, based on my own experience, it's, there's probably a lot of self-judgment for him. Why am I crying all the time? Oh, no one understands me. And he just keeps feeding this endless loop. But a safe space to communicate with you or with someone else that's close to him is a way to get it, to get it out of him. And instead right. of 
it, when it's only in our head, we just ruminate and can make things worse. But when we can speak it and share it and be authentic and vulnerable, that's when our communication becomes healing. Right. And, and that's and that's where, you know, why why we're having these discussions. And we're really, really glad that you were able to jump in and join with the discussion because because it is important as as men for for our children to understand that yes, we can feel, we do feel, and that it's you know safe for them to to share and feel as much with us as it is with our spouses. So in the case, you know, as you're saying that, that, you know, with your wife, he's fine and he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, cry as much when, when he's around your wife. In my experience, and certainly what I'm picking up as well is, is that there is, he does feel emotionally safer with your wife. And, and so, so. For him to be able to open up with you, and, I, and I'm going to and I'm going to draw upon my own personal experience here. Okay, so so that way I, I won't necessarily be tapping into to him emotionally, but I'm going to give you an example from my own personal life. Even though my dad was very absent, the few times that I was able to talk to him, I didn't necessarily feel like I could open up with him in the same way that I can open up with my mom. Again, there were certain cultural influences there. There were there was this perception that, you know, he was going to judge me. He was going to get angry with me. He was going to have a really harsh reaction with me. And so even though I had a passionate, passionate desire to speak to him, to want to open up to him, I felt like I couldn't really do so because it was not safe. I was going to be judged. I was going to be yelled at. I was going to be called the names and given labels and all that stuff. And so I really get a strong sense. I get a really, really strong sense that your son is in a very similar position. And again, this is not a reflection on you. This is not a reflection on the relationship that you actually have with them. I certainly believe that you have every intention of being the best father you possibly can. And you are doing the best you can with the tools and the knowledge that are available to you. Absolutely. And no, kudos to you for, A, first of all, making the effort. And kudos to you also for being able to, for, for reaching out and looking for other answers, other ways of being able to approach him. So, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I am incredibly impressed, incredibly impressed that you're reaching out and you're looking and you're asking questions. So thank you for that. And thank you for, for, you know, sharing, sharing the situation, because certainly, you know, we want to be able to, to offer ideas, guidance, uh, you know, acceptance and so forth. In, yeah, go ahead, Andy. But just the, the comment is, I'm worried he won't turn out. And yeah. how, regardless of how that sentence ends, love him anyway. Yeah. The, the, that's the quickest way to create a safe space. And the, the notion of judgment and his fear of being judged by you, it, it doesn't even mean that you consciously said, that's an idiot, that's an idiot position, son, or you're, that you're being stupid. It can be just so subtle. Like, if he ever tried to talk to you and you just walked away or you ignore, you know, if he just... He just has to have felt judged or fear of feeling judged. It doesn't have to be something that you're consciously aware of. Um, but just to 
to sit down and make that space and just open just I, I love you. I can tell that you're in pain and I want you to know that you can talk to me about it, whatever it is. And, and also it. and add on to that as well. I may not understand, but I want to understand. And I hope that you can trust me enough to help me understand. Yeah. Because really, I mean, I love you enough and I love you unconditionally enough to be able to, to want to understand. So, so if you, when you feel safe, if you feel safe opening up to me, I want you to know that I will make the effort. And it may take time. It may, you know, there may be baby steps. In fact, um, Stephen Covey in, in his you know, signature book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he actually used an example of a man who is struggling to have a relationship with his son and to develop that relationship with the son. And basically it took time. The principle, the, the habit, the principle behind this, this, the particular story that he shared was seek first to understand and then to be understood. So, and you know what? That's awesome. That's really awesome that you never call him names, that you, that you listen to him every time that he speaks. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yes. I'm glad that you're working on it and that you are taking the baby steps. And that's exactly what you want to do. Right. Keep taking those baby steps. Yeah. Keep don't stop. Even, exactly. you know, even when it's frustrating, you just don't back up. Just keep going yeah. forward. Keep reminding him how supported he is, how much you love him, how, how whatever he's going through can be shared. And if you do it, it'll be great. I love it. And I love the fact that he's almost walking on his own now. And, you know, one important thing is that every child is going to be unique. Every child is going to be different. I'm certainly, I certainly learned that with my two stepsons. I am seeing that with, you know, being, being very heavily involved in my grandchildren, with my grandchildren as well. I, I see that, you know, and I mean, my, my, my grandson, who's the oldest, you know, he is, I mean, totally opposite from my granddaughter. And... One of the valuable lessons I've learned through my experience was that every child, when we take the time to get to know every child individually, and in this case, your son, you're going to discover things about him that would, will just blow your mind. <laughs> and, and the approach does have to be, you know, an individual approach. Yeah. And, and a, lot of, a lot of parents think that their role is to teach their children. And really, your children come to you to teach you. So be open to that, right? Yes. So know that whatever he's going through, it's the, you know there are many gifts and lessons for you to receive. It's not just a one-way teaching relationship. Right? Uh huh. Absolutely, yes. You know there is knowledge which we can share with them, but ultimately, if we give them permission to take what we what we share with them, our perspective and either integrate it into their lives or they are free to, to discard it if they want and you know, develop their own path, their own way of going about them. But as long as they know that they are fully supported and, and fully aware of, of that the support is truly unconditional, I, I know from, my, from having watched my own stepsons going through some major, major challenges in their lives that they turn out just fine. <laughs> and they surprise us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gosh, so, I love that. I love this. You know, the discussion. That's that's really great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for being a part and and sharing with us here. And boy, we've been going for thirty five minutes. Sorry, this this is a this is the premier episode of Real Men Feel. Our our goal and intention was to go twenty minutes, so we've already gone longer than that. Yeah. Um, I want to let you know that we'll be back live on March eighth. 
And at that time, we're going to explore what it was like for us to be empathic kids, to be young boys, to be young men, feeling and being more emotional than it seemed like we were supposed to. And uh, and it sounds like that might be a lot of what's going on with your son, too. So, um, But I want to remind everyone, we have a, a Facebook group called Real Men Feel. Um, it's, it's open to the public. Come on in and share. Um, suggest, uh, make some suggestions or what you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, feel free to jump in anytime. But uh, I think we'll uh, we'll we'll wrap this up for for this week. How do you feel, Apio? I'm feeling great. I'm looking forward to next week. And Trader, if you want to reach out to to Andy and me uh, afterward as well, by all means, feel free to do so. We're happy to to offer whatever you know ideas and support that we can. And you know, please feel free to join the the Facebook uh, the Facebook group because that's exactly what it's there for. Right. Is, is that forum? And earlier, you had, uh, it was when Alpio was tuning in, he had asked if, if you were a sun psychic. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, we, we both read energy. So Alpio is yeah. very skilled to tune into the emotions of someone else. And that's what being an empath is all about. That's what we're going to really talk about in our next show. So yeah. uh, so again, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. I had a blast. I, hope, I did uh, too. Yeah, I know Alpio had a blast. So I hope um, all of you had at least a semi-blast. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, thanks again. You guys take care now. Until next time. Bye-bye. All righty, bye.